thank you for taking the time to come here. Thank you for having me. Um, I've known you from afar. Right. I've seen you many times in many different ways, mm. different different media. We've always seen you. Well, I've seen you television. I've seen you movies, commercials. Um, I haven't seen you on podcasts, but this time I will because okay. I'm the one doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me, right? Where were you born? I was born in uh, Toronto, Ontario, in Canada. Okay, so you're Canadian. Yeah, I get mistaken a lot for uh, American. I think I grew up with American TV. I've since coming to Japan. I've spent more time going to Los Angeles than back to Canada, so it kind of fits. Is that right? Yeah. So how long have you been in Japan? Uh, I think I'll be on 15 years. 15 years. 15 lovely years. Okay, yeah. well, take me through growing up in Canada. So you're, how many siblings do you have? I got uh, two siblings, brother and sister. Okay. Wow. And what's the age difference between you and them? Uh, my brother's two years younger and my sister's five years younger. Okay, so they did, they did three of you in five years. Yeah. Mom and dad still doing okay? Uh, dad passed, uh, but uh, mom's still yeah. kicking. And, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And right. The jacket I brought today is from dad, so kind of carry him around with oh, me. Oh, is that right? Yeah. How long ago was it that he passed? Oh, it was about two years ago. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. That's yeah. okay. Yeah, I was really close with my father. Oh, okay. Very, very close. Yeah. All right, so you're the oldest in the family. So right. what, are you, what are your siblings doing? Um, my brother's, I wish, was doing more, but I think he was uh, repairing e-bikes in Toronto, and my sister's um, uh, kind of a support worker for uh, teachers on the west coast of Canada. Mm. It's kind of like, especially during COVID, like she's like that, emergency person that people need to speak with if they're having trouble at school so it's kind of like mm -hmm. a counselor school mm -hmm. counselor uh -huh. yeah. okay so when you were growing up what was it like growing up in Canada Wait, uh, your ethnicity you're yeah your mixed father's? so it's uh it's an interesting history um so my mother and father met in those I guess crazy 70s and um, uh, I guess people didn't want to get married so marriage wasn't on the table so my mother and I went elsewhere and she met my father on a blind date, a double date, and um, my, my dad was hooked up with another girl, and his cousin was dating my mom that night, and it looked like after the date, the two people and two people, it looked like my mom and father had better chemistry, so they just continued on, and she just said, well, I have another child on the way, so she literally, I was on the way, but my father just really, fell in love with my mom and I saw the photos and I can understand why. Wait, your, fa your father's... He's Caucasian. 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 Yeah, like and your mother's... She's Caucasian. Caucasian. And the father, original father, biological father is from Trinidad. From Trinidad. Yeah. And you never met him? Never met him. But um, a funny thing happened when I was growing up. Um, uh, I went to a retreat in Canada. It was just to help guys and girls get in touch with the more sensitivity, I think, was starting to come into schools. And one of the counselors at another school happened to have the name that my mother only gave me his first name and what when he came to Canada. And this guy happened to have the same name, came into Canada same time, and he had the same background. So it's possible that would have been the father and that would have been a funny thing on a retreat. I didn't pursue it. I just took the information. I, I was... My father had given me a nice atmosphere that I didn't need to go searching for a father. Mm -hmm. And what he didn't do, I had other mentors like the Kiwanis Club and there was a Christian Community Center. So there were a lot of men stepping in to make sure we were looked after. Um, kind of where I grew up in Canada is called Regent Park. 
and I did a documentary, well, two films on there. But it's um, it's kind of like one of the probably at that time maybe Canada's dangerous, um, I guess ghetto. So when you come into Toronto, if you're going to go around the city, there's a black square that's colored in. If you got a map for that area, and they say do not go to that area, so that's kind of where I grew up. Okay, I'm a little confused. Yeah. Your mother and father didn't get married. Right. Your biological father. Right. Okay. And then she left him. Right. Well, then, she, yeah. yeah. And she met your father now. Right. I mean, the one that's taking yeah. care of you the whole yeah. time. And you lived in that area? Yeah. Well, well they, they lived close by that area. It okay. just happened where, where they ended up. Um, it was just social housing. I guess financially, they just couldn't get a bigger place. So okay, that's okay. where they ended up. Okay. And then... Um, was it mixed eth ethnically? Oh yeah, it's mixed. Um, okay, so it's not just one group. Like in like in America, usually you have a black area. Yeah. You'll have a Hispanic area. You'll have a white area. You have an Asian area. It yeah. wasn't like that. No, Canada is a little bit different for ethnicities. Um, we we do have that. When I was in New York, I saw a little bit of that in Harlem. But in Toronto, what would happen is whatever cultural group is coming into Canada, a lot of them will come to the social housing area. Because it's cheaper, okay. Yeah, so if, if there's a big problem in China and a lot of Chinese come, they'll come there. A lot of Sri Lankans will come there. Some groups don't go to social housing, they'll go to the ethnic, ethnic areas where they live. Which so they do have. Yeah, so we do okay, have so it, yeah. Okay, okay. yeah. So your father, was he, was he coming in from somewhere else? Or was yeah, he, he was coming in from Trinidad. So he came in. No, that's your oh. biological father. I'm thinking about the one that raised you. Oh, no. He was, uh, his family and my mother's family had been here for generations. Okay. Yeah, coming on his side from Scotland and her side from Amsterdam. Okay. But they still wanted to live in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, there were a, a lot of ethnicities. Um, the area actually was an Irish neighborhood, so they called it Cabbage Town. Okay. So, yeah. there, you know, growing up, there were no cabbages anywhere, but that name stuck in that area. But so. I think it's because of what the famine, the famine they had in Ireland, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because of that. Yeah, and right. also the Irish families uh, in near Regent Park would grow cabbages because the winter time it was one of the only things you can grow outside. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. But it stuck with the area. But now Regent Park has completely changed. Now it's been gentrified, so it looks like, you know, they got condos, they got, you know, people possibly with BMWs, and they slowly tried to bring a few buildings in to let people see what it would look like. So when I made my film, um, it was a little bit dangerous area, but what I tried to do is show the good quality and the good people in there. People paying out of pocket who are on government assistance, making gardens, mm -hmm. people volunteering. That's how I got involved with the documentary. I just started... Um, watching people and I asked my dad can you help me interview this person some people didn't want to be interviewed so I right. also interviewed teachers who came in the area to volunteer because they never grew up with a, a similar face like some of them were black some of them are Greek Indian they never never grew up with that kind of thing oh, what about you me um, yes. when yeah you growing up what was it like for you right you um, lots of Lots of uh, multicultural everything. Our, we had a small school uh, up to grade six, so we had lots of different ethnicities. So uh, there were so many different cultures, I ended up uh, taking Chinese class because I wanted to connect to the Chinese kids coming in because they were speaking this funny language. So what are you doing after school? I have to go to Chinese class. So I couldn't go to the same level as them. I think it was grade 
uh, three, so I had to go back to the almost kindergarten level. Mm -hmm. But I, for a little while in Canada, I had a Chinese name, and I was in uh, this kind of like I guess kindergarten Chinese class. I was trying to catch up to them, so I, I just really wanted to be connected to them. What so. was that? What, what, what do you think made that happen? Um, I think it just my I think my mom and father just gave me that um, kind of thing where let's open our hearts to people and I didn't really understand it until um, I guess the economic problems in Canada hit a lot of people and my dad would take friends in and he had this rule like he didn't want any of his friends to be hungry if they didn't have a place and we weren't rich to start with but you know so suddenly I would ha we would have someone staying at our house for you know a week or two he knew a, free, a few friends like that were going through transitions in life so he would offer them, I can't give you money, but I can offer you a hot meal. I can give you a couch to stay with until you get your stuff sorted. So this went on. And I think from that, it opened up my eyes to say, this is possible to help people. What did your father do? What, what kind of um, he did a lot of different things. Um, he, his what did he enjoy doing? I'd rather ask um, I think being with his brothers, landscaping, he, he did that. So they had some kind of scheme where one would drive, one would negotiate the you price. You mean his biological brother? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he had uh, 12 kids in his, from his father's side. He's being Irish, I guess he would. Uh, Scottish, yeah. Scottish, yeah, Scottish. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, and his father married twice, coming from World War II. He, was, he served there. So I, I never got to meet him. He died three years before I was born. But he got married to uh, his first wife, 12 kids. And then my father was the second wife with the next 12 kids. And... Yeah, it was. It's and they quite were really close. They stayed close. Um, yeah, growing up, I often would be around cousins and lots of cousins, lots of uncles and aunts. Some would pop in. We'd go to their house, and yeah, it was a lot of that growing up. What'd your mother do? Um, she was just a housewife for a while, and then she went to work for Sears for about twenty-five years. So okay, yeah, yeah, right. it was quite nice. And uh, she just, I, I guess, she wanted to get back in the game, yeah. and uh, yeah. I was trying to get. I'm just trying to get a picture. Did you ever have any feelings about not looking like the like look like your family? Right. Um, my my sister, who's white, um, and your brother. Yeah, and my brother. <laughs> um, I'm the, I'm the black sheep. Um, okay. But um, my sister wrote a paper asking me the same question. Um, it came up every once in a while, like you know, some racial discrimination. But Canada's a little bit different from the states, like. I, I think it's my attitude. Like I go to places, I have an open attitude. I'm not closed-minded. You know, I love going to the Russian neighborhoods. I like going to the Polish neighborhoods. I have friends who are South African Jewish. I go to their neighborhoods and eat their food. Um, you know, so I'm open to people, and I think that connects with people, so they don't feel you know there needs to be an attack. And also, when I was younger, I grew fast, so physically. You know, if I have a jacket on, it's just, you know, if I, they don't know my face. They don't, it's not a smaller person to just push around. But mm. I think I was just really lucky. Yeah. Going all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't suffer a lot of discrimination. Um, some things were done behind my back, of course. But like I said earlier, um, having mentors like at the Kiwanis Club. So some of these places located purposely in our areas so that kids would have a choice. So unfortunately, when I was growing up um, to get to those things, um, I had some friends, we would be on the play set playing in the yard. Years later, I would visit them in jail because there was... They didn't do that, okay. Yeah, they had the choice. And, and because of the Qantas Club, they had things like business clubs. Um, so I geared towards 
listening to these mentors. My dad knew a little bit of business, but some of these guys, they own businesses. They came into the Qantas clubs and whatever they must have said to me stuck. You know, I would start, you know, listening to some of their lectures about real estate. I didn't understand how, how it. Were you? How old were you during this time? You um, I was like nine, 10, 11, and then I opened a business. <laughs> what kind of business did you open? Um, at that time, um, I got obsessed with comics. And so I would wholesale buy them and then resell them to my friends. And then I'd go to flea markets and conventions and sell them again. So I'd buy them a low price and sell high. Okay. Yeah. And then that led you to what? Um, that led me to investing in real estate. What age? <laughs> you couldn't have. You were nine years old when you started your company. Yeah. So I started, I think it was, um, I think officially I started, um, I got my sales tax uh, license because my dad showed me where he used to buy his supplies when he was a manager. Um, and then I went there. So you first in Canada have to get your sales license, your sales tax um, certificate saying that you, whatever you sell, you'll collect the sales tax. On real, on real estate? Uh, no, before that it would be for comics. For your comics, okay. Yeah, so I, would, so I was selling that for a few years. And then um, I think... You got oh. your license at nine? Um, I think it was between nine and, and 12. I officially got in, I started buying comics and then I started getting the sales tax license. I think it must have been about 12. Okay. And so in middle school I was selling comic books to my friends. Um, I would sell them at flea markets because I started accumulating quite a lot. I had maybe 25 boxes of comics. I just knew how to buy them at a low price and then, um, you know, resell them at um, flea markets. And then I think I went to my first comic convention and I must have been 11 or 12. And after the convention, after I paid the taxi to go to transport everything and the rental fee, I had like San Man, like at $350. I never had that money at, you know, that time, like in my hand. So you were 11 or 12 at that time? Yeah, yeah. So what, what were your intentions with the money? What did you want to buy, a bicycle, or were you going to... Oh, no, what no. What did you want to do? Um, I was already contributing in the house, so my parents said I didn't need to do it, but um, I started um, buying odds and ends in the house, um, dishes in the house, starting with that, cutlery, just, you know, replacing things in the house. And then, um, so I was pretty much always working from 14 with jobs, but, um, so I would try to use that money, like kind of reinvest in the family, buy a new carpet here and there. Um, and then later when I got a business, um, I took over the telephone. So I was, I had a telephone, a business line through the house. So I would start just paying for things around the house and then buying groceries for the house and then cooking and, so I was kind of like, I guess, a unit in the house. And, uh, and your parents never, did they ever question you as to where you, they knew where your money was coming from all the time. Yeah, I mean, it gets back to that, that choice. Um, one, of the, one of the guys told me, he said, I know when people on welfare are going to be getting their check and I know when I'm going to be selling drugs to them. He told me his system, how he would make money. And at the young age, I did have a choice, but... I think it was because of the mentors in my area, and I did go to church at that time, but church doesn't mean you're, it's in your heart change. I think the guys closer at Kiwanis Club really helped, and I had a choice. I can work at McDonald's and get $300 in two weeks, or I can get a big $500 payday one day's work. And I, I, just, I just early on made a choice that I'm going to... Um, 
kind of follow an honest route. And unfortunately, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to work hard mm-hmm. and um, not take the easy route. And that was taking a job. And I think it was also a big thing was there was a parental father figure in my house who was willing to whip you if he needed to, oh, really? you know, if he got out of place because right, right. his father, that was... That's, that's all he knew. Yeah. yeah. So uh, fortunately, I, I was pretty straight and narrow so none of that happened with me but um, you know my, my father you know early on gave me a lot of responsibilities like the house key very early on because and he never actually even gave me a curfew because he knew I would come home okay, at a certain right. time and the odd time I'd stay out till 10 o'clock or 11 it was an odd time but I can call sometimes they wouldn't notice but yeah I think those early decisions made later choices that you know, I, I wouldn't want people visiting me in prison, but when I went to visit another friend in prison who unfortunately took a wrong choice, um, you know, I saw one or two of the guys there. How old were you when that happened? When you were um, to go I think that was in uh, university. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe yeah after high school, university. Uh, I didn't go right away, but, um, you know, I kept in contact with one guy, and then I think his mother told me he was in the local prison, and these are for minor offenses, and then I got my first taste with the visit to a prison and, you know, signing in, a little bit different from here, um, you know, and they have all these rules, and, you know, I think even during my first trip, there was some problem inside, so they, have, they can't let you in because they got to contain that first, but, you know, I, I went there to support my friend, and uh, he just he just took a wrong turn, and, and because people take wrong turns, I don't think they should be... Uh, How's he doing now? He's doing better. He's got a oh, boxer size thing. Um, boxer size. Like he trains people okay, for okay. boxing. He was a, a kind of amateur boxer. Okay. Um, kind of got up there and then just his star went down. He didn't, he didn't hit that peak at the right time, but he used the boxing skills to use boxer size and kind of develop things. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he's doing quite well. Right. So, okay, so you, you had your business. You, you learned that really well. You started oh, well, making some money. Yeah, making some books. money. Yeah. When did you change? Or did you ever get involved in sports of any type? Yeah, I um, uh, tried. I tried, tried, tried um, to join the basketball team. But um, my skills in middle school weren't good enough. And then high school, I was, I was always on the bench. Um, I tried a bit on the tennis team. But one of the passions I had was uh, running. Okay. And um, yeah, so most any school, I, I hopped around high schools too. And that's, well, I guess it's fortunate. Canel Reeves and I went to the same high school. But he went a few years before me. Um, But when I got there, like it seemed a lot of famous kids seemed to go to that high school. Um, uh, But um, yeah, I just um, hopped around a little bit and um, always working. So I I, I seem to have that. Um, But yeah, I was always with sports. Um, I did get invited for the football team. They saw me run one time. I was doing drills with the team just one time. And they said, do you want to join? And then the problem is with high school is I worked on weekends. That was my way of paying for... Yeah, I mean, well, pretty much my parents took care of it. But they kind of all the expenses would be on me. So, you know, since 13, I was always working. Mm -hmm. So go to school and then work. So I couldn't join any big sports like varsity games and stuff so I had to decline and also um, I was playing rugby but most of the rugby games are weekdays rugby is a little bit different it's it's football with no pads so it's probably more dangerous in some respects but I I couldn't live a full high school life because I had those responsibilities 
and they they were fine. I can you know I can go out with my friends. I just can't you know go to parties and lounge out all weekend. Like I have a job on you know Sunday morning, Saturday morning. Those are big money days. Mm -hmm. uh, for I often worked in a restaurant business. Doing what? Oh, just um, I started as a cook, but because I talked too much, I ended up moving more to waiter because that was an easier job and communicate for me. With the, you know, yeah, and uh, customers and stuff. Yeah, so it was it was something I did and I could do quite well. And if you can imagine, I actually had long hair in those days. Okay. So, um, but yeah, just it seemed to be something I can do well at university. And uh, um, yeah, but unfortunately, basketball suffered until university. And then I got better. But by then, again, to go on the team, they need more time every day. And I was also working at university. And I started another business, um, giving tours. Um, I got a contract with an, a, U, you know, a UK company. I would bring UK people here and around Canada and their stop was in Toronto. So I was taking business courses, but at the same time I was running a business. So, so what would you, would you major in? Um, political science and international relations. Have you been able to apply? Um, I had a, a small chance to go into law, so I, I took a few law courses, but um, that would have been the only route. Um, yeah, just... I guess the knowledge of everything was, you know, you get that general knowledge from mm -hmm. university and you can use it. So mm -hmm. in Japan, it's gold. Um, That's for sure. I never was asked for my degree. I did, actually didn't have it with me. I had to get it sent. Um, but in Japan, they physically require it to look at it. Overseas, oh, you went here, you went there. and I mean, I visited Harvard. I didn't go there. Mm -hmm. But, um, or sorry, Princeton. But um, yeah, here in Japan, everything... Academically, they want to make sure. They want to make sure. Well, almost anything. Period. They want to have a full check. Yeah, that's what I found. What made you interested? So, from the university, from university, what was your first job after that? When you finished there? Yeah, I. I I'm um, assuming you were already working anyway. Yeah, I was working. Um, but eventually, the restaurant business had to stop because if you were a waiter, the only track you can go is manager. And I saw the management is kind of a trap. Like, you know, it's just. You know, you're just doing the same type of job, managing the same type of people, and it seems like it's a watershed for you. So, um, yeah, after that, I, I got into advertising. So I was a sales rep for a health company, and uh, yeah, I guess I got good at my job. Um, it was a new company. They had three types of healthcare: um, alternative care, traditional medicine, and then Chinese medicine, all in the same magazine and we would go out and sell advertisements to new businesses and we try to target those people. But yeah, I, I also suffered in that job. Um, I had three months cold calls and until I got the hang of the job, um, a lot of people just quit. Um, mm -hmm. it, was, it was a tough job because... It was commission-based? No, it, um, it, it turned into commission-based after, but for the first, I think for the first six months, eight months, they had a salary, base salary, and then it changed. The company was having some problems, so they went to commission only. Mm -hmm. And at the transition, um, they had some, yeah, some funny things happen in that company. I had uh, people like try to steal my commissions. Like we'd go out, um, we'd put, introduce ourselves to the company, and if they liked the product, we'd leave our card, give them, you know, a lot of freedom to choose our company. I think that's a better sales tactic. And then one time somebody called, the manager picked it up. The manager didn't have sales, so they wanted to take my sale because um, I would, you know, check my records. So, ah, oh, I actually did visit them. So we ended up splitting the commission. But 
it was a weird job because I would come in. I'd had to. I, I was. I think I had to come in every Monday and Tuesday, and then the other days I'm. I can be out trying to get the sales. But I would come in Monday, meet the manager, and then the next Monday there was a new manager and a new team. This happened a few times. So it just. The, how, how long did you work with them? Um, I think I stayed with them under a year. Okay. But um, <laughs> once they went to com- they went to a pure commission base. I knew like the base salary. It had to be part and parcel mm-hmm. um, to do it, but but I I think I learned my sales techniques from working as a waiter because we'd often have contests who can sell the most wine um, or new new promos from a company they want to sell it through ours. So yeah, I'd love winning those contests. So I would just I would go to if I worked at different companies, whatever contest they have, I would just try to sell it because right. I I had to be the top dog. And, Isn't that uh, interesting? Yeah, I just. If you do something, I think you want to do it with a purpose, and it's great getting a paycheck. But why not get something new? They think it's connected to the customers. Let's get them to meet together. It's just small talk. Get the you know, you guys on a first date. Hey, would you like to try this uh, first date wine and just make a joke of it? And oh, hey, you know, are you guys having some trouble? Would you like some wine to sort that out to calm down? And whatever situation, I would keep selling that um, two dog wine. Were you, <laughs> did you ever read books about that? About selling? Um, yeah, I mean, Carnegie had the, like the, the one. How to make um, friends. How to make friends, people. yeah. Um, I read that kind of later on. I, I think my school, and that helped with film later on. Um, you can go to film school, but film school is really expensive. And business school, the same thing. So I just kind of learned by volunteering and going right back to the Qantas Club. Those business guys came in and they'd get you to sell pet rocks with the googly eyes glued on it. And you try to sell those to people for a dollar. And even from that, you have to keep ledger books and stuff. And you don't think it's useful, but later on, it it, it connects up and and you get your confidence um, going in front of people or trying to sell them things. You don't know if they don't want it, but you can kind of engage them in conversation and even going back again to comics, like, you know, have to engage like what kind of comics this person Which wants. Which you didn't know at that time. Oh, I didn't know lots of and many things, so. I mean, at that time when you're selling comic books, you didn't know, but you still had the skill. Yeah. How were you, so, did you ever look back at how you sold then as compared to when you really started understanding what you were doing? I think it's um, just a, a, transfer, a transferable business where I'm selling this product. It's comics or it's, it's selling bottles of wine. Right. Know the customer, um, know the product in and out that you can, if they say something wrong, like, oh, I don't like the price, but how about this? And, you know, or I, I don't know about that issue. Oh, no, no, look at this. And you got to have other things to compare. But you, you think you even did that just intuitively when you were doing the comic books? Yeah, right? definitely. It, and it was because um, you're in a room with 50 other vendors. We don't know what they have. That's so right. I have to have something that's better. So and you also knew all of your stuff. I knew as much as I could and, you know, put out the best stuff and sometimes don't put up the best stuff because they want to go through the bins and stuff. And, uh yeah, every time was always a little bit different, yeah. You've learned to sell and use that in everything. Yeah. Did you use that to get your wine? Uh, I you might have. Maybe I might have. Um, yeah, she, I, when I met her, actually, um, so if we go back, I met her, I think it was 2017. She made a presentation, and I, at that time, thought there's no chance to meet that girl. She just, she seems so organized. She seems so refined. And I, I just 
yeah, she just, my confidence just went down. Um, and then we met a year later and then she made another presentation and I just happened to come at that time. She made the same type of presentation, but more in depth. Like she was explaining how she donated 50, she'd grow her hair 50 centimeters and donated to burn victims, cancer victim. I said, wow, this is an amazing girl. And she also designed fashion and also, yeah, I mean, it was, it was great to admire. And then- Was she uh, doing this in English? Yeah, uh, yeah, she explained it in English okay. too. It was like an ESL class. Okay. So she just kind of took it. Um, she, she studied in my hometown. She had actually come to Toronto. We were there at the same time. Never met. Never met. She came back to Japan. I came back to Japan. And we met um, a Thanksgiving dinner. An American put it on. We were at the same table. It was around my birthday weekend. And we didn't talk so much at the party. I mean, we, we knew each other kind of from the ESL and her presentation. So we're familiar with each other. But on the way back, I heard you're from Toronto. I lived in Toronto. That spark started. Then I can pitch her a little bit. Yeah. How long did it take before you guys got married? How long were you? Um, it was quick. She had been waiting for the right guy, but guys were afraid of her. So I finally understood why. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I was the only guy in a long time that asked her out for dinner. We talked a little bit on the phone, and you know, let's see how the conversation can go. And um, I think it started text and then phone call, and then quickly let's meet. And uh, it was the same night I was filming at the airport, uh, Narita, so or Haneda, one of those two airports. Um, so I had to work at midnight. We went on a date at seven, and. Um, we went to Shake Shack and uh, we um, had our dinner, but you know, she had to go home, but she knew I had to, I told her I have to go straight to the airport. She was wondering why and I explained I'm gonna be shooting out from midnight till 6 a.m. because they can only shoot when people aren't there. So yeah, she decided to wait for me until I, till the, I took the last train. So the date went quite well. Like she wanted to spend more time. Instead of going home at nine, she stayed until like 10.30. And, you know, instead of getting a good night's sleep, she wanted to, you know, I, I, spend, more time. Yeah, spend more time, like get to know this guy. And uh, yeah, it was nice. It was nice. And uh, she was very genuine. And, uh, you know, you get that good chemistry. And uh, yeah, it was shortly after. I think we became an official item, I think, within months. I think within, I think it was Thanksgiving. And then by December, she did something. Maybe I don't know if this ever happened to you, but um, she said, I want to be a couple. She handed me a seven-page document, translated in Japanese, and then she read it to me, saying what she wants, and then what I might offer her in the future, and then where we can go from here. So we can stop dating now and get serious, or we can just stop dating. Where do you want to go? And then she handed the document to me. Now you're asking me if that ever happened to me? <laughs> I know it didn't happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> you just said, I don't know if that ever happened to you. No, no, that it was just it was just an unusual, you know, it was a fork in the road and, and she liked where we were going. She thought I was the right guy, but she wanted to make sure, am I on the right, am I on the same page as her? Did, do I feel this spark? So she got her feelings down on seven pages and... Oh, this wasn't something she had written before. No, no. she had set up. No. She, after meeting you, she went and said, okay. After we went on a few dates. She said, let me find out. And she wrote it all yeah. down so she wouldn't be... Yeah, it was at that point where we're going to go further. She didn't want to date somebody. She wanted to get married. Okay. And I, I think she thought, you're the right guy for me. And how do you feel? But I want to say everything. And she wrote it down and translated it in Japanese. And um, she read it in English, thank goodness. And then, um, but this was her 
like where do you want to go and otherwise I can take the seven pages and just go home and say well that was interesting and then go on my way in life but yeah I responded and yeah I gave her an immediate answer let's let's continue as a couple and yeah so had you met her parents um, no, we, we first made a, a deal that we're going to be a couple. And then Different. if that Works. goes well. Then we'll meet. Yeah, so I proposed to her and then um, I went well, in. How long after that did you propose to her? Um, I, guess I think it was maybe two months after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, because she, she, we, we were already on the serious track. So instead of like deciding when, um, yeah. And then I went and went to her Japanese parents. Her father is really traditional Japanese so where's she from uh, there they were uh, she was brought up here in Tokyo okay. families I think from uh, Nagano okay. area but they had I think for better education a lot of Japanese bring their kids here for high school and then want to get into a good school here um, instead of going there mm -hmm. um, yeah so I did the I got all kinds of different advice you better say these five things in front of the father and you better bow so I, I had that ready and I, I kind of kind of bowed a little bit, but I, I talked to the mother and she was, you know, don't, she said, get up. She didn't want me to, there's a, there's a kind of thing where you kind of really bow to them. Um, but I, I wanted to look respectful to her, like your daughter's important and I want to respect your traditions. Um, but she said, no, just sit down, tell us what you want. And um, well, I want to marry your daughter. And I try to say it in Japanese. They didn't know? Uh, well, they, they um, what she did was, when she was sure about us after that seven pager um the family came to church to meet me so we were going to the church at the same time mm -hmm. and they all like sisters all the family came and you know took me out for lunch but they wanted to meet me after like because this was a f long time she didn't date anybody but now i you come up yeah. yeah and so they said let's meet him and she said okay you can meet him if you come to church and then they made a big thing about it and then yeah so we met just that time and then um, I think I, the mother also gave me another test was um, because um, she wanted to get to know me and how's my temperament. So she asked me if I could teach her uh, like aromatherapy class and she cooks for them and does uh, essential oils. So she said, I'm going to do a small class with them and then cook them something then you come in and, and continue talking about food but do it all in English so me teaching her friends she got to see how I am because if I yell at her friends she knows you'll do it to her daughter her to her daughter does she does her mother speak English she's learning fast Learn now. What yeah. about the father? not so much so I got to kind of communicate with him how many siblings does she have she has just the sister and she's the oldest uh, she's the youngest her sister's married already? Yeah, her sister okay. with two kids already. Okay. So, yeah. So, they, I mean, they kind of got the next kids already, mm -hmm. I guess, for that family's name. But, um, yeah, they're, they were just really happy because it was like, you know, from maybe thinking she wasn't going to get married to suddenly there's a guy there. So, yeah, it was nice. How long have you been married now? Um, just, we just celebrated a year. So, I think we're about a year and a half. We, yeah. we got married in September last okay. year. And it's still going well. You still have yeah, yeah. She still loves me. So I think she told me today. So. She did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that fresh. So that's good to yeah. hear. That's yeah, good to hear. Yeah. She wished me well for coming here today. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah, she yeah. get to see this too. I'll make sure that's okay. Season. Okay. Oh, oh okay. of course she will. It's going to. Yeah, she'll be happy. So she she'll be happy. It. We we yeah. sometimes um, we were really lucky. Um, 
a magazine asked us to, I'll, I'll give you a copy if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, a magazine asked us to tell our story, like how did you fall in love during COVID? And we did that. That's right, you did it during COVID, that's right. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Wow. So I didn't think about that. I, I had my mind everywhere else. That well, I think it was just going into COVID. We were yeah, thinking about getting married. It's been a year and a half. You were in COVID. Yeah, yeah. So all churches got closed. That's right. Um, buildings got closed. Like almost any rental place. And then the other problem was um, people, you know, at the time, the numbers were high and they were getting higher. And people, and this is just before the Olympics got canceled. Like that wasn't even mm-hmm. known yet. But um, people couldn't assemble together because they were worried. So... It wasn't a question of having a wedding now. We were thinking of having it in March and that would have been good. But when we got closer to May, everything completely got shut down. And then, you know, we were kind of a little bit floating in the summer. Um, but what we came up with is we decided to just get married at our parents' house, invite a few friends over. A few, unfortunately, played the piano. So one guy was just playing the wedding tune. They had a piano there. Yeah, we just had a few close friends, like a lot of mentors who helped me through my journey here. And just have been, you know, some good African guys, some guys from the Philippines, some American guys, some guys who are mentors and friends who saw me through the transformation of single guy, when he's ever going to get married to now he's getting married. So, yeah, so we just did it at our parents' house. So it was That's nice. nice. Yeah. Small, nice. it was intimate, but it was nice. Yeah. We, so what about yeah. your mother? Has your mother, she's, she hasn't met her yet, has she? Um, what happened was um, the summer, once we were um, getting engaged, um, she went to Canada. So I went back for my dad's funeral. And then um, she came when she got some time off. She just came for like 10 days. We were originally going to go to Toronto, but we ended up staying the West. I stayed at the West Coast. I wanted to stay with my mother. And then she went to see friends that she hadn't seen in Toronto. But mm-hmm. yeah, they got to meet. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it was quite nice. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And my family joined her online. So they watched it through Zoom. So, but, and her family too. She had family in Nagoya or Nagano. So they all kind of watched and other friends. And then the pastor who did the wedding, he was in Colorado. So, <laughs> so every, everybody so was somewhere else. Yeah. Well, he had um, helped her in her transition um, to know about God. Um, I mean, if you stay with a pastor and his wife, I think something's going to rub off on you. So, that's who she'd stayed with. Yeah. She stayed with a pastor and just, the life of the life changing idea of God to her just was so transformative that her life changed. Mm-hmm. And that's how she started going to church and just had a hunger for English. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was good. And what about for you? How did you get into that hunger? Church? Yes. Um, well, church was um, going back when I was younger. Um, I told you it was uh, social housing. I grew up there. So there was a church close by. So I was going to that church until like 15. We changed churches and then I stopped going to church until I was 22 Mm -hmm. and then came back. And then, yeah, I saw that God was an important part of my life. And um, yeah, it's just, I think it's good. I mean, of course, I'm going to make tons of mistakes in life, but having God with me during those mistakes, letting me know I'm okay. And especially during COVID too, where you know, people are feeling alone. I got somebody with me and I feel comfortable with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it just helps also with a church community. So all of that had been planted from an early age. So So your mother's very religious. No, no. um, She had stopped going to church. Um, If a mother and father don't go to church, my mother was only going and my father wasn't. So kind of she just stopped going to church, kind Mm -hmm. of be around him. 
um, when I went back to Kenya, I spent a lot of time with her. And then I was going to church. I found two churches to go to. So I invited her to go. She started going back to church. Okay, so she's going now. Yeah, she's going now. And uh, my aunt also went to church. She met my uh, wife at that time. And she was so happy, like, you know, because they have, we have the same faith. So my aunt was really happy. And then, yeah, it was just, it was a really uh, good experience of, um, <clears throat> you know, my mother reconnecting with something she loves. And, you know, I'm sharing the love, something I love with my mother and she's continuing it. So yeah, she's, uh, despite COVID restrictions, she's still going to church, so. What denomination? Um, she's with, um, uh, she's with, uh, it's called First Baptist Church. First Baptist, okay. Yeah, so it's a small church. It's shared with, uh, actually a Japanese church right. shares it as well, but it's a really small, small community of churchgoers in Victoria, Victoria in Canada. Okay. Where do you go? Uh, now, yes. uh, I go to two churches. One is uh, Tokyo Union Church. I know that is. A okay, Rajiko. yeah, yes. and I also go to Double O Cross Church in Kichi, Georgia. It's a smaller Kichi. church. Yeah, I used to live in Mitaka. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Both both churches are amazing, great community, and especially during COVID, I think this community, it's it's helping people cope, and and people are asking a lot of questions mm -hmm. during COVID, like why is this happening, and and people got a lot of inner reflection and. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe you know as well, like suicides went back up in Japan. We were fighting with Korea for the highest numbers. And unfortunately, Japan took over the mantle again with the highest suicides. And it's also going to kids too, where kids are being bullied. And now, you know, <clears throat> well, I'm noticing in jobs I take, but, you know, families are staying at home now and fathers are not used to being at home. So sometimes it rubs off on kids. And so if I'm lecturing in English classes, Sometimes we have to be sensitive because these kids are going through the COVID times. Mm -hmm. So these are some jobs that I take now as doing lectures. To whom? Um, mostly through schools. Okay. Yeah. Right. So I did some. So the secondary schools? Um, middle schools and high schools. schools. Okay. Yeah. Just wherever we're dispatched. And Who's we? Um, we get a group of, a team of uh, lecturers. So we go out to like boost up English. From where? Where? Um, some smaller dispatch companies, yeah, here okay. in, in Tokyo. Not like the Toastmasters, it's not that. No, 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 that's, that's more volunteer where that's you go. Right. So we're, we're getting paid, they're paying for the service, and we'll get dispatched to go and boost up English, you know, in schools in Osaka, schools in Nagasaki. But how does someone become a part of that group? Um, I think you just, um, you can just go online and just join like dispatch English companies. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's like that. Okay. And um, then when you join those companies, you know, they check your resume and stuff and make sh making sure that you have enough qualifications, right. like some Maybe experience. Right. And then they've started with a lot of camps. So I, I've tried to stay away from just, I used to work a few times, a few years, um, not too far from Rapungi too, at middle schools, mm -hmm. um, you know, teaching English. But... This is different. We just go to places short times mm -hmm. and just like I was saying, Nagasaki, Osaka, sometimes Shizuoka, you know, they just we come in and we swoop in and we just kind of boost their English. And but in the back of everything, I have to remember the, these kids are going through a pandemic right now. So the smiley faces or if they're feeling down, I have to recognize that there could be something behind it. So don't don't attack them too much or tell them to stand up. And why are you acting like this? Like they just don't know how to deal with things. So sometimes this happens and just try to be sensitive and, and just try to bring a game that makes them feel better to th get, a, get them out of whatever they're thinking about when they're in the classroom.
Mm. And I think it's, yeah, it's good. I just talk about Canada. Um, I talk about the States. I joke around with them and, and play with English and just boost them up, make them feel confident. And it, it takes very little effort. Sometimes it's just a smile mm-hmm. and, and just they've never had sometimes some schools have never had, uh, you know, they don't have a regular native speaker there or that one just does uses the book and it's hard. But we're full on tension to get them empowered and, and have them actually make a presentation within a few days mm. with a team. So they learn to work with others. and. Often in Japan, I um, have guys and girls like they, they stay, it's like a school dance in middle school, like they're on the sea. So often because of that, I partner guys and girls up often. And you know, they know each other, just they not rather have, a, have that other person as a partner. Right, so right, yeah, right. but it's a lot of fun doing those kind of jobs. Is that what you do mainly right now? Um, I'm all over the place. Um, last week I filmed a commercial. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes doing a lot of background extra work. But this time, this audition, I really got hungry and I memorized the Steve Jobs speech and that was part of the audition. And I guess everyone else just came in and said, I'm going to read it cold, but I tried to memorize it. Mm. And they were looking for somebody that would have it memorized because they needed it memorized for their other thing with this long talk about the electronics company. So I just went in hungry and they said, okay, you you got it. So we just did that last week. Wow. Yeah. So, so, so right now I'm just trying to. Yeah, it's okay. Your job. Jobs. Is, your job. So, as we say, your job is to be a freelancer. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that's what, it. That's yeah. what your job is. So, it depends on what it is, but you love acting. Yeah. You like to speak. Yeah. Um, you love teaching. Right. And you love selling. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm missing, that. not missing anything yet. Okay, selling. Um, sports is out of the question right now. But you'll teach, if you'll teach, if you can, you can use sports to teach. Yeah, um, there's some guys doing that. Um, I haven't kind of gone that route because that yeah. takes a lot of dedication. Um, you got to know the sport too. Yeah, and you got to know the sport. But I think also just coming from overseas for parents, like, oh, he could probably teach football or he could probably teach soccer, <laughs> and you know, you just—it's a stereotype, but we right, could right. turn it around and use it. Right. Um, but I'm also uh, dabbling in e-commerce too. So uh, I took a lot of mentor during the COVID lockdown. Every job got canceled. So <clears throat> teaching jobs got canceled. Um, acting jobs, a few of them came. I, I got a few small commercials, but then everything shut down. Um, I started looking at e-commerce. You don't have to meet them. You can sell it online. But yeah, it was. Um, I used the e-com king, and I just mentored under him. And he is probably the most intense e-commerce mentor you could have. Um, he has a free six-hour course. And to get through that, you have to do other things. Register your business, um, get, you know, um, you have to kind of learn his system that he has, how to set up websites. He shows you how to do everything yourself. Did you know? it work for you? Yeah, somewhat. Um, I had a lot of, um, well, I got the site up. Um, I had friends help me through it who also were in uh, e-commerce and stuff like that. Um, and then I just had to recently retool it. So yeah, I think 2022 will be good. Mm-hmm. If it goes well, then my wife will work less and then she's out of fashion school. So um, her dream is to be that housewife and just redecorate the house. She has a good interior design experience uh, mind. So I come home and we have three rooms, but she kind of can really organize everything. and. Yeah, you don't know how organized you are until you live with someone that is a fan of Marie Kondo. So I got lots of lectures and 
you know, if you don't touch something for six months, that should be thrown out. Oh, um, okay. So, uh, you know, just as I got married, I, I had to live with somebody else instead of organize things myself. So when you live with a Japanese wife, um, you learn quickly. I mean, it depends on the, the woman, well, but of course, yeah. she grew up with a very traditional mother who had a traditional grandmother, even where to sit, how, I, you know, when I hold the rice bowl, you won't see any of that today, but when I hold the rice bowl, she wants it done a certain way in front of family. And it's not to train me to be a lackey, it's just, this is a, she, she grew up with custom, this. Yes. It's, yeah, it was interesting. So I got that quickly with marriage. Like not, we, we grew up with not putting your elbows on the table. Right. That kind of thing. <laughs> Make sure to keep one arm beneath the table and use one hand when you're eating. Right. That's how we talk in America anyway. I don't know about uh, Canada. Canada. Canada's pretty much the same. Yeah. I, I mean, I grew up with lots of multicultural families. Um, some Indian families would eat with their fingers. Yeah, yes, sure, so, you know, Indian cooking, I, it's just, it's just, I saw my body transform. I can see some people even think that you're Indian. Yeah, actually, the, uh, because of the roots from Trinidad, um, when Indian people took my, I had a, oh, sorry, I didn't tell you this, I had a tour business in Canada, okay. so one of my other businesses. So one mother came and said, are you Indian? See, yeah, and you could be Indian. Either. She said, you're Indian. I, I told her I'm from Trinidad, and Trinidad has a mix of Creole and African and Indian. So, yeah, the blood's there, so. There yeah. you go. <laughs> Have you done your DNA thing? Did I? Have you had your DNA checked? No, no. I did mine. You did? Several times, yes. <laughs> it was free here. Um, um, I think it was, uh, the, there was a, um, near Ebisu, there's a hospital that was, um, they had one of these things, they wanted to check our blood. You know, if you can go for one of these clinics and they said, we have a free DNA thing, we can do your whole thing. And I said, no, just give me the $300. And, uh, <laughs> but I should have actually checked it because it was free and they were willing to you know, let me know who, where, you know, how much am I Eskimo or how That's much. Right. There you go. Yeah. What would you like to leave the audience with? Um, okay, what I would like to leave them with is, um, I've been in Japan a certain amount of years, and while I was here, I started volunteering on Tuesdays um, t with a group called First Fruits. And the reason I want to leave this with the audience is, um, the First Fruit is a group of housewives who decided to empower the homeless in the park. And it started with them people visiting the church and they made the friendships, but they wanted to do more. They want to get people out of the park. They want them not to sleep on benches, to get in dormitories, but to do that, somebody needs to empower them that they know they can go down to city hall, the ward office and register. They feel I'm nobody. So it took time, a lot of prayers. So I joined that group and doing that, it gives me a different sense of Look at all the blessings that I have in my life. I can do this. I can do that. Um, some of these guys can. And when you get to know them, they're funny guys to be around. You can joke with them. Um, you can celebrate their birthdays. They remember you. They, they see your integrity. It's a kind of like, an, it's like looking in a mirror of what you're doing in life. And then um, during the pandemic, we just started our own outreach. So we just, how much can we bring to the park? Where can we go? We just started going out there. And we saw the routes that other groups were taking. Um, of course, when a church goes out, it's a different thing, but we were just getting the money from ourselves. We tried not to take money from anybody because you start having to report to people and make, you know, and do this. We just thought, we wanna do this for the love of helping people in the park. And I use the same tradition I learned from these women from First Fruits. We didn't give any name to our group. We just two guys going out and I started inviting people.
that are, I guess, members as well at the Tokyo American Club. Some members have come, and、um, I think American School in Japan's parents, some have come because they said, hey, our kids go here. I put an advertisement on Facebook. I said, would you like to volunteer? And I got flooded with, I think, 30 to 40 emails. People during the pandemic were looking for things. How can I help people? How can I? I I'm going through stuff, but I, I want to get away from that. I want to do something different. And we just kept doing it every week. And so from a July advertisement, we had people volunteering still until December. So I ended up training guys from、uh, Senegal,、uh, I think Nigeria, and a few other African countries. They came down. Housewives came down, and we were taking anybody. We didn't require them, even though we're Christians. We said, <clears throat> if you want to help, let's look at your heart to heart. And so I, I probably want to leave that with people that we want to give back to Japan in a different way, not to the average person, but to the, the, the people that get looked over or people step around them or don't make eye contact with them. We, for an hour or so, we empower them. We give them coffees, we look at them, we stop them. How are you? We hear their laughters, their laughter, and、uh, yeah, it's nice. And that's kind of something I'm doing during the, the weekends. And it's great to empower. I never know who's going to come or what they're going to bring. I, I kind of guide them a little bit, like, you know, don't bring shorts, you know, and, and、um, you know, don't bring、um, American size clothes because, you know, your sumo husband won't have any size compatible in the park. But you know, we, we have a lot of fun, and, and I think it's great for housewives and, and husbands. They connect with their wives. Like, couples have come, and recently a couple brought their kid, four year old kid. She didn't want to talk, but she learned how to give out brownies to people.、Nice. Later, this will come to her what she was doing. The mother is so happy that she can learn this earlier on. They're about to go back to the States, but <clears throat> another couple as well, they're going off to Singapore. But their families are getting this experience of their kids. Helping the homeless, and we're able to be part of that. So it's, it's a good feeling to be able to do that. There's no selling. I, I don't have to negotiate with the homeless except, you know, do you want this sweater?、Mm-hmm. But it's turned around、um, to, you know, talk to them. And my Japanese isn't so good. So I have to rely on that. Maybe it does go back to sales technique. I have to sell myself to them in a humble way、mm-hmm. that you matter. And it's a deeper sell. It's not, I'm not selling them a Lexus, I'm, I'm selling them their dignity back. Mm-hmm. So, there's one、yeah. thing I've seen. I watched the YouTube of you. That's what made me want to have you、oh, on the、okay. podcast. Where you'd go up to some of the people that had come to your, you know, your event or your, your organized、right. group to give out food. And you asked them, Did you speak any Japanese? They said, No. They said, Did you find it hard for you to communicate?、Right. They said, No. It wasn't hard at all. Yeah. You still were able to get through. Listen, Ron, I want to thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thanks、this、for having me. Fantastic. <laughs> this has been fantastic. Thank you. All of you watching this podcast, make sure you press like, subscribe, and never forget it's all on loan, as you just found out from Ron. Continue to reach for the stars, and you're too blessed to be stressed.